I love those words. God, you take me just as I am. You love me. You're the one he loves. You're the one he loves. You're the one he loves. That's our God, and his love will never fail you. And I'm so grateful for that. And that's why he wants to speak to you today. That's why he wants to meet with you today, wherever you're at. If you're worshiping with us online, maybe on the other side of the world, God knows what you're going through, and he loves you. You're the one he loves. If you're here at the Woodlands campus or at our Atascacita campus, you're the one he loves. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He wants you to grow in his love. He wants you to grow in fulfillment in life and in character. So let's pray to him right now. Dear God, I thank you that you love us so much. And Lord, I pray today, my biggest prayer today is that you would just help everyone within the sound of my voice just feel a little bit more of your love, experience a little bit more of your unconditional, overwhelming, perfect love for us. Because I know when we get a glimpse of that, start to grasp that just a little bit, then Lord Jesus, we surrender everything to you because a God who loves us that much can be trusted. And so I just pray over the next few moments that we would feel that, that your word, Lord, would just go forth and, and we would hear it and receive it and our lives would be changed by it. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can be seated. Have you ever wondered what Jesus really looked like on this earth? Maybe you haven't because you have this image of Jesus that you've never really questioned. The image comes from the way artists have painted Jesus through the years. It's Jesus painted as a white European with blue penetrating eyes, long brown hair, wearing a flowing white robe. He looks a little fragile, a little weak, but he's very somber and very serious. And he looks really, really spiritual. Now, I don't know what Jesus looked like, but I do know it wasn't like that. It was an artist in the Middle Ages that started painting Jesus like that. All these artists in the Middle Ages started painting Jesus as a white European. Middle-aged artists ignored the fact that Jesus was Middle Eastern. He was a Middle Eastern Jew, so his skin would have been darker. His eyes were probably brown. He was a carpenter growing up working in construction, so he would have been strong and masculine. Hey, last year, Chris and I were visiting Charleston, South Carolina, and one night we were walking down the street, and this image of Jesus in a store window caught my eye. Here it is. It's called Jump Shot Jesus. He has more strength than LeBron James. He's a better shooter than Steph Curry. He's more clutch than Michael Jordan, as he's wearing his Air Jesus sandals right there. I just see Jesus bringing James and John, the Splash Brothers, down to the gym for a pickup game against the Pharisees. Jump shot Jesus. I mean, jump shot Jesus is pretty ridiculous. But in one sense, jump shot Jesus is a more accurate picture of Jesus in the classic paintings through the years. At least you see some joy in his face. And in all the classic paintings, Jesus looks so somber and joyless but joy was the essence of Jesus. That's why when Christ was born, the angel said, joy to the world, joy to the world because the God of joy had entered our world of sorrow and sadness. Jesus was filled with more joy than anyone who's ever lived. 
And the amazing thing is, he wants to fill you up to overflowing with his joy. We just kicked off our church-wide adventure. We're calling the Joy Challenge as every day we're learning to choose joy for 30 days so we can experience joy for the rest of our lives. And I'm teaching on joy every weekend and all of our life groups are having fun putting joy into practice. I really challenge you, if you're not in a Joy Challenge life group, join one today. You can go online and join a Joy Challenge life group. You can connect out here and join a Joy Challenge life group. But all of our life groups are going through this Joy Challenge. And so on the weekends, I'm teaching about joy so we can begin to understand it and put it into our lives and start choosing joy, but then we're practicing it in our life groups. And life groups just meet one night a week, hour and a half, two hours, and it's so important. That's what church is all about. You know, church is all about life groups, doing life together. It's really good to meet and have a, a big worship service, and the bigger, the more powerful as we sing to God and it reminds us a little bit of heaven. We recalibrate our lives according to God's word. You need that weekly worship, but then you need that small group, that life group that you're doing life with, that you're being connected with. And so if you're not in a Joy Challenge life group, there's no way you can experience all the joy God wants you to experience. And so I challenge you, join a life group, a Joy Challenge life group. And it really all it is is you watch the 10 minute video of my teaching on joy and how to put it in practice. You have questions that you download, that you discuss, and it's as simple as that, and you have some refreshments. And so if you're not in a group, we will put you in a group with your age or stage or in your neighborhood, and all you have to do is sign up. And they just got started. Most of them haven't even started. They start this week, so you won't miss anything. And it's just five weeks, that's it. One night a week for five weeks, and if you uh, miss a couple of weeks, that's okay. Just five weeks, and I'm telling you, relationships are what it's all about, and you'll never feel like it, and that's the way it is with joy. Joy is not a feeling, it's a focus, and it changes your life. Well, I want us to look at John 15, because John 15 really tells us how we can experience joy like Jesus. So would you stand in honor of God's word? Just follow along with me. Jesus tells us how we can really experience joy like he had. As the Father has loved me, so I, or so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. You can be seated. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you all this so that my joy may be in you. Jesus wants to fill us with the joy that he had. And Jesus said, the secret to experiencing this kind of joy is to remain in my love. We can remain in his love or we can run from his love. We can remain in his love and experience joy or we can run from his love and lose our joy. Why do we so often run from the God of joy rather than remain in the God of joy? I think the reason why is because we don't really understand. We don't really know 
the God of joy. We have this picture in our mind of who Jesus is, and it's not who Jesus is. And the reason why we try to do life ourselves rather than obeying him and surrendering to his control is because we don't know him very well. And if we don't really know the God of joy, we won't trust the God of joy. To have joy like Jesus, we need to see the real Jesus and not some image of Jesus that we have in our head. And I wanna point out three things about the real Jesus you may have totally missed. And I want us to learn these three things about the Jesus of joy so that we can be filled with the joy of Jesus. First, I want you to see that we have to learn to laugh like Jesus. I've gotta to learn to laugh like Jesus. This is really important. This isn't a minor principle. I have to learn to laugh like Jesus. Have you ever realized Jesus laughed? When you think of Jesus, usually the words fun or funny don't come to mind. But look at Mark 12, 37. It says, the large crowd listened to him, Jesus, with delight. People love listening to Jesus. It was exciting to listen to the Son of God. Now, when a non-Christian thinks of church, usually the one word they think of is boring. But church should be something you enjoy, not something you endure. Church should be the most enjoyable, the most fun, the most meaningful, the most life-changing, the most challenging place there is. It's not a funeral service, it's a celebration service. Jesus is alive and so we celebrate. Everyone loved listening to the God of joy, except for the stuffy and pompous religious leaders. And Jesus used a lot of humor in his messages. We just don't recognize it because it's not our kind of humor. Hebrew humor was very different from ours. Scholar Elton Trueblood, who wrote a book called The Humor of Jesus, points out that Jesus used humor all through his preaching. It's just that Hebrew humor in that day was humor by exaggeration. It's not our kind of humor, so we don't really get the jokes. Jesus would say, when you judge others, it's like you're trying to take a speck of sawdust out of their eye when you got a two by four in your eye. And people were just cracking up. It was humor by exaggeration. Jesus would say, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And they're going, Jesus, you're killing me. Cut it out. That's hilarious. <laughs> we just don't get the jokes because it was humor by exaggeration. Why did Jesus use so much humor? Because he knew laughter was such an important part of life. He created laughter. The Son of God laughed. He didn't shoot hoops with them, but he laughed with his disciples. He laughed with the children. Just imagine the sound of God laughing. I mean, I can't even imagine the joy. The God of joy laughs. Here's a classic painting by Willis Wheatley called The Laughing Jesus. It's been around for a while. Put it up, guys. I love that because you just hardly see any pictures of Jesus laughing. I like this one even better. It's Jesus laughing with a child. Go ahead and put that up. I love that. Just thinking about the Son of God, he laughed. He was God and yet he never acted too important to laugh. Some of you are taking yourself too seriously. That's why you're stressed out. I mean, you think you're the general manager of the universe and if you stop, the whole world's gonna crash. But I'm telling you, everything's gonna go on without you. A big problem with a lot of Christians today is they take themselves far too seriously and they don't take God seriously enough. 
You see, we take God seriously. We obey God. We follow God. But yet, we have to laugh. Laugh at ourselves many times. In Luke 7, 34, it says, the Son of Man came enjoying life. Most people don't enjoy life. They just endure life because they mistakenly think everything has to be perfect for them to enjoy the moment. That's not reality. No one had more pressures and problems than Jesus Christ. He carried the weight of the world on his shoulders, and yet he still chose to enjoy life. He chose to enjoy joy. He chose joy, and joy is a choice. Joy is a focus, not a feeling. If you're ever going to experience joy, you have to experience it right in the middle of pressures and problems and pain, because that's life. To have joy like Jesus, I need to learn to laugh like Jesus, but I also need to learn to cry like Jesus. One of the most powerful verses in the Bible is the shortest, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. The God of the universe didn't act too important to laugh, and he wasn't too proud to cry. Jesus cried at the funeral of his friend Lazarus, even though he knew he was about to raise him from the dead. It broke his heart that his friend's hearts were shattered by the loss of their loved one. It tore him up on the inside to see the devastating effects of death in our sinful and broken and messed up world. And when the tears of grief stream uncontrollably down your face, the tears of deep grief fall from the face of God. His heart breaks for your loss, that empty place in your heart, that empty place at your table, that empty place in your family pictures, that empty place at Christmas dinner and all the other holidays. His heart breaks over your broken heart. The scripture says that on this earth, Jesus was a man of sorrow, acquainted with much grief. And that shows me that grief is a good thing because God grieves. Tears are healing for us. Grief is God's gift to us in this hurtful world to bring healing to us. Jesus experienced the most sorrow of anyone who's ever walked this earth. He grieved more than anyone who's ever lived, and yet he had the most joy of anyone who's ever lived. He was the most joyful person to ever walk this earth. That's because you can't experience great joy until you learn to grieve your losses. But we don't like to grieve. Our culture is one where we wanna be happy. We always wanna be doing something where we're all happy and we wanna make everything perfect in our lives and we hate to grieve. We think it's bad to be sad. And we don't like others to grieve around us. We wanna help them. We feel like we need to help them be happy. We don't like to grieve. It feels awkward. It feels awful. We just want the pain to go away. We just wanna feel some measure of happiness. And so many times we run from our pain. We anesthetize it with addictions. We always hang around crowds at times because we wanna drown it out. Workaholism, just keep going, you won't think about it. Or pleasure, or we stuff it in. We don't talk about it, we just move on. But if you don't grieve, it will explode in some way at some time in your life. It may come out in a midlife crisis where you just do something so devastating. It come out in a dumb decision that can ruin your life. I mean, don't run from your hurt, bring it to the healer. That's why Jesus said, 
in the most famous sermon ever preached in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now the word blessed literally means, oh, how joyful. So he's saying you're joyful when you're sad. Sounds like just the opposite to me. I mean, what does that mean? You're joyful when you're sad. It means that when you're crying, you can experience the comforter. And that makes all the difference in your life and you realize you do have a comforter. You have someone who cares more than anyone else. It's the tears that wash away the illusion of happiness so we can see clearly how to take hold of joy. And it's when you can't hold on that you come to the realization that God holds you. And then the joy begins to well up within you while the tears are welling up, the tears of grief falling down your face, and this divine joy welling up in your soul, knowing no matter what you go through, he's going through it with you. And when you can't hold on, you've got a God who will hold you and grieve with you and hurt with you and stay with you in the hurt. This is really important because in our culture, we feel like when someone's grieving, then we've got to say something that makes them feel better. There's nothing you can say to make them feel better when they're going through a deep loss. And grieving is a good thing. I remember as a young pastor, and a lot of our young pastors do the same thing, and we try to train them and teach them. How do you be with someone in grief when they're experiencing a deep heartbreak? I remember early on, I, I would go to someone's house who experienced a deep loss, loss of a family member, and I, I would think, I need to say something to them real spiritual that really helps them and quote Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What an amazing passage. But that's not what they need at that time. I wanna say, hey, it's all gonna work out. God's got a plan. I mean, we can just see it right now. God's got, no, that's not gonna help them at all. They don't want answers. They don't want someone to fix it because they know no one can. They just want someone to sit with them in their hurt and have so many people, so many of you in this church who I or one of our pastors have been with in that time of hurt, and you think, man, that made all the difference. And we think, we didn't do anything. We didn't say anything. We just sat with you. We cried with you, put our arm around you said, this stinks, I don't get it, but we're praying for you, we're with you. Do you need anything? And just sit in someone's hurt. It's uncomfortable for us to even sit in someone else's hurt. But when they're going through it, they have to sit in that hurt. But the great thing is, God gets it. No one grieved more than Jesus. No one experienced more sorrow and sadness than Jesus on this earth, and he was the man of joy also the man of sorrow, and so he gets it. And what does he do? He just sits with you in your hurt, and he will never leave you. Whatever you walk through, he will go through it with you if you're a Christ follower. I don't know how people who don't know the Lord make it through those times of loss, because Christ followers and non-Christians all experience loss and hurt and brokenness in the sin-sick world. Christ followers and non-Christ followers go through a lot of the same things. There's just one huge difference 
If you're a Christ follower, Jesus Christ will walk through it with you. You will never go through a dark valley. You will never go through a loss. You will never go through a heartache where he's not right there with you, hurting with you. I don't know how non-Christians make it in times like that. I don't think they do very well. But look at Psalm 35, because somebody needs this today. This is your promise. You're the one he loves, and this is your promise. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. You may be going through a night of weeping right now, and it feels like your night of weeping will never end. It feels like it's the longest night, the longest season of your life. But it's the night of weeping that brings the morning of joy. It's in that grieving that God can bring you joy, and maybe you can't see any joy right now. The darkness in your night is so dark that you can't see anything. But just because you can't see it now, can't keep joy from coming. It's on the way. The dawn is coming. It's always darkest before dawn, and maybe you're in the darkest point of your life. Dawn is coming. The God of joy is coming to you to bring you his joy. And you don't have to stop grieving, that's the thing. It's not your job to bring joy, that's God's job. The God of joy will bring joy into your life. He will bring the sunrise, he will bring the morning. The darkest night in the history of the world was that Good Friday after Jesus, God himself, died on that cross. The darkest night. And then that Saturday night was the second darkest night when he laid in that grave. But Good Friday and Silent Saturday gave way to Resurrection Sunday. And I'm telling you, if Christ is in your life, that dark Friday and that silent Saturday, when it feels like God is silent, is going to give way to Resurrection Sunday because it's on the way. Weeping may last the night, but joy comes in the morning. And you don't have to bring the joy. You can just grieve. You grieve, and God brings the healing, and then you wake up and realize there's joy in the middle of the pain that no one can steal, that no human being, what they do or don't do, can steal it away from you. No circumstance can take it away. No pain or suffering you endure can sabotage it. It's all about a divine gift from God that begins to well up inside you when you choose it but you have to keep choosing it. God, I don't like this, I don't get this, but I'm gonna choose joy whether I feel it or not. I'm gonna focus on you whether I feel like it or not. So if I'm gonna experience joy like Jesus, I have to learn to laugh like Jesus, I have to learn to cry like Jesus, and then I have to learn to love like Jesus. In John 15, 12, Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So we're to love others like Jesus loves us. Now that's impossible. He gave his life for us. He always followed his father first and foremost, and then he always put others ahead of himself, the God of the universe. So to love others like that, I need the power of Jesus. But I also need the pace of Jesus. Jesus was never in a hurry. I mean, no one had more to do and more to accomplish than Jesus Christ, and yet he was never in a hurry. His schedule was never overcrowded. He was never too busy for relationship. The priority of his life was love, loving and obeying his father and loving others, loving his disciples, 
loving his friends, loving his followers, and loving his enemies. And some of you are too busy for relationships. You're forgetting what's most important in life. You can't rush relationships. We're always talking about quality time. There's no such thing as quality time when it's a relationship. You gotta slow down and have quantity time to really connect with someone. You gotta slow down like Jesus or you'll miss the most important thing in life. We're always doing all these important things. I've got important meetings. I've gotta accomplish this important thing. People are expecting me to get this done. And we miss out on the most important thing, love. Loving God and loving others. If love is not the priority, you lose your joy. If love's not the top priority in your life, you will lose your joy. Recently, one of my sons asked me, Dad, thinking back over all the years you've led Woodland Church, what is your greatest regret? And I said, that's easy, that I didn't stop to enjoy the moments more. I didn't celebrate God's victories more. You see, early on when Chris and I started the church, there'd be these problems and these huge pressures. And I would think, hey, I'm the leader, I'm supposed to solve these things. And then I realized, I can't, this is impossible. And then we would pray and ask God for a miracle and God would come through with the miracle. And then I would, I would quickly thank him and move on because another huge problem came. God, I, I mean, if we don't get through this, you know, our church isn't gonna be here anymore. You know, I mean, this is huge. We got no place to meet. God, we've got all these problems. God, this is overwhelming. And, and I thought, well, I need to fix this. You know, I, I'm the leader here, and I try to fix it, and I forget that God came through with the miracle last time, and every miracle was God, and God's the one that brought us this far. And I'd try to fix it, and then when I couldn't, it was a dead end, then we would pray, and I'd pray, God, we need a miracle. We need a blessing, and God would bless. God would work a miracle, and I'd thank him quickly, and I'd move on because there's another problem. And I would always say, when we get through this really stressful season, right now, we're driving a U-Haul to a rented facility and all the children's equipment and cribs and the sound system and all, the whole church is in our garage and right now it's so stressful, we can barely make it and we put all the kids and all the stuff in the U-Haul, drive it down to the school, we set it all up. I, God, this is so stressful, but when we get through this, then I'll really enjoy life. Then I'll really be able to focus on the kids. Then I'll, I'll really be able to do the most important things. Really love God, love my family, connect, enjoy life. And then when we get to this next step, you know, it'd be like, hey, we're in a rented facility and man, we're really growing, the team's growing and but it's hard, and God, every week, it's overwhelming. Meeting this room is silly. When we get a building, then things will settle down, and then I'll be able to really enjoy life more. I'll be able to really connect with my family. And then it was, God, when we get some staff, I'm just overwhelmed right now, but when we get staff, everything's gonna be great. It's gonna be perfect. I'll really get time to enjoy life, and I'll get time to really, really be there for my kids and for Chris, and. And then it was just one thing after the other. But I want you to know, in those early years, one night I came home late from a meeting and Chris said, Carrie, you're missing it. I said, what? You're missing it. The kids, 
are only gonna be preschoolers for a very short time in just a blink. The kids are gonna be in early grade school for just a very short time. So we had preschoolers and a couple in grade school, and it's just for a very short time, and this is the most important developmental time of their life, and you're missing it. It's gonna be the greatest regret of your life because you'll never get this back, and you're missing it, and you're always saying, well, once I get through this, then I can really do these things that I wanna do, that I need to do, that I can't do that. And I'm telling you, because I love you, this is gonna be the greatest regret of your life, and that's where you're going. And that just clicked in my mind and woke me up and so many times I need that from my amazing wife. And I realized that things would never settle down. In fact, you know, the, now that we have a building, there's so many more challenges, and now that we have a larger staff, there's so many more problems and issues and things to deal with, and now that we have a, a greater vision because God is doing this great work and he's called us to step out and do things that we can never do on our own, there's always more problems and pressures, but I'm different. Because I know it's not me holding up the church. I know Jesus builds his church, and I do what he's called me to do, and he's called me to put him first, to put my wife next, my family after my wife, and then the church, then myself. You see, God's power flows through priorities. And some of you are missing it. I mean, you're missing it because you keep thinking when things settle down, when I get through this season, then I'll really enjoy life. You will never have joy. You will never enjoy life. And you will have great regrets unless you realize the priority of life is love. Loving God and loving others, especially the ones that God's put right around you. Your number one mission is to love. And to really love people like Jesus you have to put them ahead of yourself. That's what joy is, that old acrostic of joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's joy. In Philippians 2, 5, it says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. The God of the universe put our need of salvation ahead of his very life. He humbled himself. He was never trying to prove, hey, I'm God and you better listen to me. No, he became a fragile human being, putting on this human flesh, exposed to all the pain that this world offers. And yet, he always put others ahead of himself. You can't be full of joy when you're full of yourself when you're thinking about your rights, your needs, your goals. In fact, it's really a prescription for despair when you just focus in on yourself. You focus in on how no one really understands you. You focus in on how you have certain needs but no one really cares. That you have so many problems and pressures that other people just don't have because they're happy and everything's going great. You just focus inward on your goals and your desires 
and you will get depressed. It's a paradox of life. When we get our eyes off ourselves onto God and others, God begins to give us joy. And many times when we're going through pain, we just want to withdraw and focus on ourselves. I've got too much going on to really focus on someone else. I'm too busy, or I've got all these hurts and all these things in my life that I've got to fix, and I don't have time to focus on others. But when you forget about yourself for a moment and you start looking to others to meet their needs. You start looking at the pain of others. You start looking at the heartbreak of others because I can tell you this, I don't know much about anybody you're gonna run into tomorrow at your office place, your neighborhood, at the grocery store, but I can tell you one thing about them, they're hurting. Everybody has a hidden hurt. Just because they're smiling, everyone has a hidden hurt. And you open your eyes and ask the Holy Spirit of God to show you that they're hurting and to show you how to reach out, to care about them, to ask them how they're really doing. You get your eyes off yourself and your hurts and God begins to fill you with the joy of Jesus. That was the secret to Jesus' joy. In Sue Monk Kidd's best-selling book, The Secret Life of Bees, a 14-year-old runaway named Lily is welcomed in to this very loving and wonderful home of these sisters. And August is the oldest sister, the patriarch, and May is the one who is the most needy and has the most problems and struggles in her life. And the exterior of the house, this wonderful, loving home, the exterior of the house is painted as unmistakably gaudy, bright pink. And one day, Lily asked August, if blue's your favorite color, then why did you paint the house so pink? And August says, that was May's doing. She was with me the day that I went to the paint store to pick up the color, to pick out the color. I had a nice tan color in mind, but May latched on to this sample of Caribbean pink. She said it made her feel like dancing a Spanish flamenco. And I thought, well, this is the tackiest color I've ever seen. But if it can lift May's spirit like that, I guess she ought to live inside it. And Lily said, all this time, I just figured you like pink. August laughed again. You know, some things don't matter that much, Lily, like the color of a house. How big is that in the overall scheme of life? But lifting a person's heart, now that matters. The whole problem with people is, and Lily interrupted and said, they don't know what matters and what doesn't? No, I was gonna say, the problem is, they know what matters, but they don't choose it. You know how hard that is, Lily? I love May, but it was still so hard to choose Caribbean pink. The hardest thing on earth is choosing what matters. You see, I think most would say, yeah, love's the top priority. Relationships are what it's all about, but we don't choose it, and why? It's hard. It's the hardest thing on this earth to choose what matters. To choose what matters most in these urgent moments in our day, we miss the important things. We know what matters most, but it's hard because we have to put others ahead of ourselves. It's hard because it's not easy. It's hard because we have to make sacrifices. But if we don't choose what matters most, we will have many regrets. God wants you to choose joy in the middle of the problems because that's the only chance you have to choose it because life is filled with problems. If you have a pulse, you have problems. The only problem free place is heaven, and we're not there yet. We're in a broken, messed up world. 
And so there's always gonna be problems, there's always gonna be difficulties, there'll always be trials and pressures and pain, but don't let your problems and pressures keep you from parting with Jesus and joy. And by the way, Jesus loved parties. He was always at the party. Now, he didn't party like some of you party. <laughs> but he was there, and he, they, people enjoyed being around him, lost people, loved being around him. He wasn't pretentious, and he loved people. He said, I came to heal the sick, not those who think they're healthy, not the religious people who think they don't need me. Came to the ones who know they're broken and need me. You'll never have joy if you don't rest in God's love and love others. Let's go back to what we began with, John 15, verse nine. Jesus says, I've loved you the way my Father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. I love that. To remain in Jesus means that I make myself at home in his love, that I'm not restless trying to do something important or trying to please others which will steal my joy or, or trying to do what I want and put myself ahead of others which will steal my joy. All I have to do is remain at home in his love. How do I remain at home in his love? I obey him. I obey him. I surrender to him. Instead of doing what I think is important or what I feel like, I obey him because I know that I won't have any regrets if I obey him. But I have to say, like the prodigal son, instead of remaining in his love, many times I've run away from home. Instead of remaining right in his home, I have run away from his home. And I've been restless. I've run away from his love because I feel like I know what's best. Rather than surrendering to what he knows is best for me, or I do what I feel like rather than I know what is right, what he's calling me to, and I've run far away from home, far away from joy, far away from his peace and his love, and I end up empty, numb, joyless, just going through the motions, but not really living. But when I finally come to that place where I'm broken, totally empty, I begin to think of home again. And when I finally stop running, the God of joy runs to me. The God of joy runs to me, and even in my filth, with my clothes tattered and torn, he runs to me and he hugs me like a bear hug, and he holds me with tears of joy flowing down his face, and he laughs and he celebrates and he holds me tight, and he doesn't want to let me go. And, and then he clothes my filth and all my filthy rags. He puts on a robe of forgiveness and love. He doesn't condemn me. He carries me home. He carries me home to be at home in his love again, and then he celebrates that this child has come home. Maybe, like the prodigal son, you've wandered away from home. I mean, you love God, you, you believe in God, but you've been doing life on your own. You've been trying to fix things. You've been trying to do what you think's best rather than just obey him. You haven't been going at the pace of Jesus. 
You've been going at your own pace and you're burnt out. Well, when you get to the place where you realize you're so broken and you're such a mess and you're so empty on the inside, so far from home, far from joy, if you'll just stop running, I'm telling you, the God of joy will run to you and he will bear hug you and hold you in his arms and he will carry you home and he will clothe you in a robe of love and forgiveness. And some of you, you're just realizing the reason why you're so restless and you're not at home in his love is because you're trying to do it yourself. And you love God, but right now you're trying to do it yourself. And you think, I'm not the prodigal son because, I mean, he just rebelled from God and went off and did all these crazy things. No, we're just like the prodigal. Every time we wander from God and we run away from home and we don't rest in his love. I want us to stand together and I want us to pray because as we are in this joy challenge, this is what it's all about, to remain at home in his love. God wants us to remain at home, to remain in him and not run from him. And some of you have been running from God and you're so far away from God and you've never received Christ and you don't have the joy of Jesus and you're empty, numb, just going through the motions of life feeling no purpose in life, and this is your homecoming. This time for you to come home to receive Jesus Christ, the God of joy. And some of you, I mean, you're like me, that so often you're like the prodigal. You run away from resting in his love. You're not at home in his love because you're trying to fix things. You're trying to do it yourself. But it's time for you to stop running, let the God of joy run to you. And all the world religions... Christianity is the only one that paints the portrait of a God like that. That's the God of joy, the God who runs. In all the other world religions, they talk about a God who's stern, a God who's holy, a God who's perfect, a God who will condemn and judge sin, a God who's all-powerful, but they don't talk about a God who runs and hugs his children and says, my child has come home, and celebrates, and forgives, and holds, and cares, and laughs, and cries, and loves. That's the God we serve, the God of joy, who makes all the difference in our lives. Jesus Christ, the God of joy, is right here, right now, right there with you, and he says, stop running. I can't wait to hug you. I, I mean, I can't wait to celebrate with tears of joy. I can't wait to laugh with you again. In this series, every day, just choose to remain in his love. Just obey him, just obey him. When God's word says something, do it. When you feel the Holy Spirit prompt you, just do it. Because he knows what's best for you. And you'll remain at home in his love. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that even though many times I run away from home, instead of making myself at home in your love, and when I don't rest in your love, Lord, I get restless and I find myself joyless. I find myself just numb, trying to get through another day to survive. And I'm not really thriving. I'm just surviving. But Lord, I pray and I thank you that all we have to do is stop running. I pray that you would help every one of us just stop running today so that you can God of joy, run to us and hold us and bring us home again to rest in your love. That we, Lord, would just surrender to you because I know if we just get a glimpse of your love, 
we'll surrender totally our lives to you because someone who loves you as much as you do wants the best for us more than we want the best for ourselves. And, and you know what's best for us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to do and obey what you call us to do so we can find your joy and remain in your love and rest at home in your love. I pray for those who've never received your love, Jesus. Remind them like the prodigal, all they have to do is just stop running and you will come to them and you will hold them and you will forgive and save and give them the gift of heaven. But Lord, I pray that they would just say this prayer in the silence of this moment, wherever they are, that they would just say, Jesus Christ, I need you. I'm empty, tried to live life on my own, and it doesn't work. I ask you to come into my life with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of all my sins, and I ask you for the gift of heaven. I can't earn or deserve this salvation and this love for me, but I accept it, and I ask you to help me grow in my faith and fill me up with your joy. Help me follow you from now on and be the Lord of my life. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, Christ came into your life. Would you cheer for all those who prayed that prayer? If you're online, just click that. I raise my hand to say I received Christ. We wanna help you with that decision. If you're here at the Woodlands Campus or at Tascacita, just let a pastor know. We wanna give you information on how you can grow in your faith. Hey folks, God's up to great things. This joy challenge is changing our hearts, our lives, our church, and our community, and God's gonna use it to change the world because that's the God we serve. Now, here's the thing. Get in a joy challenge life group. You're not gonna feel like it. You're gonna be a little bit, I'm not sure. It's a little awkward. You're too busy. I know all that, but there's nothing you could do that would make a bigger difference. So connect, join a joy challenge life group, and by the way, the membership classes today, if you've never joined the church, it's a two-hour class from one to three. We feed you. We take care of your kids. It's amazing. I think over 100 people have signed up for the membership class today. It's a baby step that changes so much. The Christian life's not just a matter of believing. It's a matter of belonging. And God wants you to connect to a local church. We would love to have you here at Woodland Church. Hey, women's Bible study. Chris, my wife, kicked it off last week. It's Thursdays at 9.30. It's not too late to come on. We have child care, and it's amazing, great worship. Great teaching from Chris. You break up into little life groups and discuss it. And it's amazing. And they had hundreds of ladies. And by the way, the task to see it, it's Tuesday mornings. And so this Thursday, come to Ladies Bible Study. Men's will be starting soon. We'll be telling you more about that. But I'm so thankful that God brings us home to rest in his love. And you belong to him. If you're a Christ follower, you can run from him, but you still belong to him. You still belong to him. You're his kid, and he loves it when his kids are at home in his love. He loves to take care of you. He loves to work in your life. He loves to meet your needs like a dad loves to meet the needs of his kids. Now, he doesn't always meet your needs like you think your needs should be met, just like a dad doesn't meet his child's needs just based on what the child thinks they need but on what's best for them. And I'm telling you, your daddy God wants to meet your needs. The God of joy wants to fill you with joy. Why? Because you belong to him. Don't ever forget whose you are. Don't ever forget who you are. You're a child of a living God. Because of whose you are, you belong to him. Let's sing at Woodland Church and let's thank God, the God of joy, and choose joy. Choose joy.
Let's choose joy. It's our choice, it's our right, and he is our God and we belong to him. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.